the episode 368 of the Talk of the Day of the Afternoon Podcast. My name is David, and I'm here with my wife, Ginger. Hello. Today we're going to talk about episode one of The Stones of Blood. <laughs> the Doctor and Amon are in the TARDIS, and they are. The Doctor's got the two segments now, and he's trying to put them together, and Amana takes them and puts them together quickly. And says, well, why don't you take the tracer and see where we're going to go next? And uh, so he takes it and heads out and then comes back to tell him exactly the same thing. I'm going to go find out where our next destination is. Just to have the upper Time Lord hand, I guess. <laughs> so we see in the dark a long shot of a stone circle. And then a close-up shows people in gray robes, and they're worshiping and calling to the goddess uh, Kaliak, um, or Celtic goddess. Um, they have two vests, uh, cups, and they pour blood on the stones, and the stones, one after and then the other, pulse with light, and we hear a thudding, like a like actual pulse. Doctor and Mana are um, back in the TARDIS. She's getting ready for their destination. He um, is finding out where the where the reading is taking them, and a message kind of bleeps in, and it says, um, "Beware of the Black Guardian," and it repeats again. And Mana comes out and hears the tears. And says, what does that mean? And so the doctor has to tell her, um, even though he works it out with himself, well, he, he, he would have told her if she should have known, but he comes clean and says that the president of the Supreme, Supreme Council has not sent her on this mission. It was the White Guardian. It can take any, any form, and that there's uh, also a Black Guardian, and <clears throat> just how the a recap of everything the White Guardian told him that um, the uh, things get so out of balance that it's necessary to get the gather these segments, put it together, stop everything, and then the White Guardian can restore the balance. So uh, she's filled in on more of the mission. So he tells her where they're landing in this earth, and she goes, oh, why am I? I'm not surprised. She says, it's your favorite planet. And she says, how'd you know that? She says, everybody knows that. So they take readings, and it's, um, it's raining. The doctor grabs an umbrella and says, casually, as he exits the TARDIS, anyone for tennis? And he says, well, it's an English expression, meaning, is anyone coming outside to get soaked? Romana stays behind second and asks K9 what tennis is. He says, well, real lawn or table? And she goes, never mind. Forget it. So K9 wipes his memory banks of tennis. So they are walking outside the TARDIS down a, a nice country lane. The doctor's got his umbrella open and then realizes, oh, it might be a nice day after all. So he closes it and then just pitches it off to the side of the lane, out of the way. So Romana is uh, K9 
coming up behind. Um, I'm struggling already with the walking. Um, she had asked the doctor about her outfit, whether he approved, and um, he says, oh, that'll do, except for those shoes. They were kind of spiky heels, and you can tell she's like already kind of stumbling with them. So she pulls out the tracer and says, oh, the third second's not very far away. Um, so they head off across the fields. The doctor finds some very large impressions in the ground, like obviously made by something very heavy. Ramana doesn't find them very interesting or curious, but he does. Um, not too far away from them now, they spy the stone circle. The doctor and Ramana walk to the circle and walk around in the circle, and he explains how what they what they are and what they were used for and he says well she says I thought earth was not so primitive it's like well not now but thousands of years ago way back so Ramana stands up and starts uh, looking um, around for the segment with her tracer again and as she turns to face the camera she is startled to see that there's a wizened old woman standing there and um, she comes in just to talking about their uh, interest in the circle and surveys and um, the doctor introduces it runs into her and she says oh she, he looks familiar and maybe it was this paper that he read on on such and such and maybe it was here and and she kind of goes into this whirlwind of um, different scientists and what she's done and what she thinks she remembers him as doing and introduces herself finally as Professor Amelia Rumford and uh, she talks more about the surveys uh, in hist history of the circle um, and calls them the nine travelers and Ramana says well but they're more than nine stones and is oh yes, and then there's that's just been called many things, and there's different surveys that um, found a discrepancy in the number of stones. The doctor is um, says, well, this is curious too. He sees dried blood and quite a lot of it. That something could have had its throat cut, and we hear someone walk up and then say to the doctor, it probably did, and enter. Vivian Lefay, who is a fellow surveyist, uh, works with Amelia Rumford, and um, and uh, she's bringing in some of her equipment and setting that up. And uh, she says, "Oh, that sometimes the bids do get a bit primitive." And she says, "How does that is the British Institute of Druidic Studies." and their leader is a Mr. DeFries, and they describe him as a very unpleasant man, and he doesn't like scientists, but the doctor wants to go talk to him anyway. So they tell him where to go, and it's like, oh, it's just a couple of miles, and Ramana's like, oh, a couple of miles, I can't walk, you know, that far in these shoes. He says, well, I did warn you about those. And he says, well, I'll go see Mr. DeFries. I'll stop by, bring you back some boots. You stay around here. And then inside he tells, stops her and says to stay there and watch something very odd's going on. 
So the doctor walks back through the circle and back through the impressions, um, and he doesn't believe for a minute that Missy's, uh, or, um, sorry, Vivian's explanation that it's probably someone just moving equipment. Ramana is working with surveying with the, the two ladies. Uh, she's startled by a crow. She says, oh, it looks evil. Mr. DeFries is in his home and he and his wife are having their own private worship session. Um, he lights a brazier and they're worshiping their they call to the Kaliak again, and how the enemies of the Kaliak will be killed, and they have their own symbol of their goddess. They have a crow in the sitting room, and uh, they say the doctor, meanwhile, arrives and is ringing the bell and says, oh, the one who foretold is here. So they disrobe from their their gray Celtic or gray Druidic robes or whatever they think they are and uh, get ready to receive their guest. Doctor is meanwhile let himself in to look around and says, is anybody home? Nobody home. Nobody except us Druids. And the doctor starts looking at some portraits on the wall and starts reading out some of the names. One of them is Dr. Borlais, who was a uh, surveyor of the circle um, that uh, Amelia had spoken of. So um, Mr. DeFries interrupts and says uh, that yes, if poor Mr. or Dr. Borlase and didn't Professor tell you his story and the doctor says Mr. DeFries without looking at him. And Mr. DeFries continues walking in the room and uh, says, I'm surprised you, you didn't hear more about him, doctor. So the doctor says, how do you know my name? Uh, Mr. DeFries deflects the question and starts talking about the three missing portraits. There's obviously big spots on the wall. He says they're being away. Did he say they're away being cleaned? Yeah, I, I think so. Something like that. And that one of them was especially nice because it was from the Scottish painter, painter Ramsey, and it was Lady Morgana Montcalm. Next is um, Mrs. Trophusis, a, a hermit, a spinster or something. And the, yeah, I'm not sure. And then the third is a Brazilian woman, Senora Camara. Um, Doctors, was her Mr. Camara, a Senora Camara? It says, he appeared to not may have made the crossing. I says, oh, let's not stay out here in the hall. Let's have sherry and talk. Meanwhile, Ramana is uh, watching the crows circling and circling above. Vivian and Amelia and, and they're surveying. They're done with their task for the day. And they invite her back to, for tea and sandwiches. Um, because Vivian's cottage was just over the ridge and says, well, she, she should probably stay and wait for the doctor. So they say, well, bring him later. See you later then. So she gets the tracer out and proceeds to search more for the segment but isn't getting much reading. 
the doctor uh, is observing the crow and he says it's an unusual pet. He says, well, it's no pet, doctor. It's a servant of the, or it's no pet. He doesn't really say much at that point. And the doctor says again, you never told me how you knew my name. Again, Mr. Vasilis doesn't answer. And he says, he says, you never told me what your interest in the circle is. So the doctor says, well, he's looking for something. Part of the key, this key to what? Oh, the key that's been mislaid. So he buffs it off. And he says, well, you're not a real druid, are you? And Mr. DeFleece says, well, I am a, stu a student of druidic law. And the doctor laughs and says, well, that must be very boring. Gets to it and gets serious. And Mr. DeFleece is not very happy about that. And, um, doctor goes on to say that he always thought that Druidism was invented by John Aubrey as a joke. And DeFries gets defensive and says, oh, a Kaliak is no joke. And says, um, so, of course, a Celtic, um, uh, actually, Kaliak is Celtic or Hag, but I have heard of her, so a Celtic uh, god goddess to be worshipped. And so he says, um, do not question the Kaliak, doctor. I have seen her power come. And he leaves, gets up from his chair and walks across the room. And the doctor follows. And in the doorway is um, someone in a feathered robe and bird-like mask and the doctor is curious and gets closer to look at it and the freeze comes up behind him and brains him with a statue or something from the mantle and knocks out the doctor he says his blood is still warm I know what to do next we see Romana uh, in the circle looking about um, she hears the doctor's voice calling out to her so she throws her shoes off behind her and leaves the circle and starts walking towards his voice, trying to find him. She gets closer and closer to the dangerous cliffs of, to the ocean, and uh, she's talking as if she's closer to the doctor and talking to him. She's, what's the matter? And we don't hear or see anything, and then all of a sudden she says, she inches backwards, and then she says, no, no, and screams as she falls over. Um, over the cliff in the night. So, um, really a strong first episode, I think. Yes, it, it was really good. Um, we have the we have really good um, incidental music, I think. Yeah. When they're watching the birds circle, which is a little fillery, we see it a couple times, but it's not bad. Yeah. It. This does seem to have a fair amount of what I would think is filler. Yeah. Um, those little bits with the kind of creepy music um, does kind of set the mood, um, give some atmosphere, mm -hmm. even though we're outside for a lot of it. Um, but still, you know, being in the, um, the countryside and the, the stone circle, real or model, <laughs> the long shot at the start, the infotrix is, it's only a model. Um, 
it, but you do see it only from a distance, and so it's not really bad, I don't think. No. The model. No. Work. Yeah, it's um, not bad. And then there's some of the, the rock, the stones are uh, obviously created for the story. They've got a handy little ledge for them to pour the blood on, for them to pulse and glow like they did. But still, they, they, they don't look too bad compared to some of the real um, texture of the stone that we see. And uh, when they are in the real stone circle, they are in the Bronze Age circle that's called the Rollwright Stones. Mm -hmm. And I think it was um, good to see some of the information track had uh, that there were parallel stories about its creation and mm. how those stones are there was like a, a army and its captain that were turned into the circle by a witch and at midnight they would uh, come back to life and troop down to the village for something for a drink I guess just for a drink yeah I eat something like that I don't remember now back I guess so I'm sure there are more and I probably knew more of them some time ago when I was in high school watching this, um, but that was that was good. And then you have the uh, very enigmatic characters. Even Amelia is kind of funny, and you don't really know her in a way. She's right. very open and forthcoming with information, um, contrasted with Mister DeFreeze, who is not. Um, yeah, she was almost too was, forthcoming. Yeah. She spent a lot of time doing her explanations. Yeah. At least partly because she stumbles over what she's going to say. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be a character trait, not the actress not knowing her part. Yeah, I was going to say, it really speaks to her being a, a, an elderly scientist who just gets wrapped in her academic world and goes on and on and starts talking about her field, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, trying to remember the dates and this survey and the Reverend Bright and this day, this exactly, you know, that's how she talks in it. As she's trying to remember it, when, of course, I'm sure the actress knows perfectly well what a line is, it's her, all her delivery. And yes. she does a great job. That's this um, kind, not really absent minded academic, but. Um, Preoccupied. Preoccupied academic woman. Um, and then they, so right away we meet several different characters and they're very different from one another. Um, like I said, there's a Mr. and Mrs. DeFreeze, which um, she, Mrs. DeFreeze, was calling on the Caliac in their circle in the beginning scene. As we see her in their their home scene as well um, it was a, there's the fun little bits where the Romana says you know the doctor thinks it would be such a treat and surprise for Romana that they're going to earth it's like that's your favorite planet everybody knows it's your favorite planet but I don't know why because she sees a you know cold rainy day I guess and then uh, the info track mentions to the fact that they, um, Romana starts doing this, or asking where they're, you know, checking what their destination's going to be, and then preparing for 
going there. So, mm -hmm. um, and they talk about how Tom Baker plays a doctor to be very inexperienced about women. And so he goes to go in the, the other room in the TARDIS and she's closed the door and she goes, no, no, not yet. He goes, oh, okay, walks away and he's like, what do you mean not yet? And he goes back and says, what do you mean not yet? It's like, well, I'm not ready yet. You know, it's like just a thing. He doesn't think to himself that she's just, she's getting ready and changing. So that's why he can't come in. You um, didn't feel that was overdone at all? Um, I don't know. Uh, not, not so much. I mean, it, they could have cut it down a little bit. It would have been just fine. Yeah. But I don't feel too badly that it was left in. Um, it just seemed like uh, a little fillery, a little out of place. Well, I agree it is a little fillery. Um, but I think they're meaning to hint to uh, the fact that this is their vessel, but it's also where they live. And you're trying this uh, adjustment, mm. kind of this domestic adjustment, really, part of their characters. That's how I've always taken it. You know, she says, how do I look? And she says, oh, ravishing. She says, no, I mean, will this do? You know, I think she's just saying, oh, do it, do it look nice. But you know, she, her real question is. She's is being this, more practical is about more it. Practical. Which is kind of a nice side to see that, you know, she's not just saying, you know, is this pretty or something like that, but, you know, is this suitable for where we're going? And she's got, you know, slacks and a shirt and a, a um, I don't know what that kind of hat is, but, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's called either. I always think of it as a, um, a British driving cap or something mm, like that, mm -hmm. you know. Flat I've heard it called that yeah, as well. The smooth back. That, and I think the Brady who dro wore one mm -hmm. when they drove down to Wales to the, in the um, Green Death when he drove Joe yep. down. It's very smart looking. But she's got really spiky shoes, you know, which is yeah. a point of the story, but it's also kind of a fun, funny thing that, you know, well, I think that'd be fine except for those shoes. Well, I think that I kind of like them, so she keeps them on, and then regrets it, you know, which is a little. And it elicited a comment from the professor as well. Yeah. I think they got three or four distinct jokes off that uh, one pair of shoes. Um. There's also a little bit of. Romana's naivete and when Vivian is explaining something and she, uh, direction or something she knew about the circle and she's oh I used to be a brown owl and she's like really <laughs> and the doctor's side says that's part of a brownie pack <laughs> to tell her that it was a girls group as a kid you know because she's she, going to know what a brownie pack is well yeah uh, that was my other point was it how would does she not know what a brown owl was? Does she really think she's a brown owl? Is she really going to think she was a brownie? Um, and that, is she going to mean in her head the brownie the cookie or brownie the sprite? You know, the, yeah. the mythological creature. Could go either way. 
But yeah, only if she knows the mythology of Earth. Yeah. But she doesn't seem to. Um, so we see that even though she's kind of become an accomplished assistant to the doctor, there's still a lot she doesn't know in field work. Yeah. You know, because she hasn't been a lot of places. And so it's kind of nice to have that little um, balance those type of things make you really see how it could have been Leela in the story. Mm, yeah. Because the doctor would have had to explain the same, the same way probably too. Because she would have thought, brown owl, she doesn't look like she was an owl, you know. Yeah, so at I least to an extent. He yeah. I've mentioned I love that anytime anyone for tennis that again I know is kind of fillery I guess it shows how, how much time the doctor has spent on earth for mm-hmm. that particular part of earth you know but uh, and then when he folds the umbrella up and just t- like Tosses you said it. pitches it yeah. <laughs> off to the side boom just very casually but forcefully throws it into the bushes. It's funny. I thought it was interesting that even now he was suspicious of the professor and Vivian. Vivian Faye. Was Faye her last name? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Faye or Lefe. Maybe it's just Faye. No, I think it's just Faye. Just Faye. Vivian Faye. Yeah. Um, Which is not really out of character for him. I think coming off of just hearing the um, Beware the Black Guardian thing in the TARDIS right before they landed mm-hmm. was probably maybe giving him an extra hint of suspicion of these people. Could be. A reminder. Because it's a warning and a reminder. So maybe he's taking it as a reminder that yeah, there are other people who might be looking for this um, to happen to run into the surveyists. Um, and they had had a, tra- a tracer signal. So. Did they? When they first, before they get to the circle, they do. Hmm. Maybe it's, 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 kind of the, it's kind of the general Geiger counter, very light Geiger. Yeah. Not uh, as strong as when they're right um, in close contact with the segments. Okay. I think it's just a general, it's working kind of thing. (laughs) Very general, you're on the right planet type of noise. Yeah. (laughs) What what is it? Otherwise, what we've already mentioned. Other than what we've mentioned, not too much. Like I said, I think it's a real... A good strong episode. A good start. Yeah. Oh, I do too. I think it's so far it's one of the best parts stories so far mm-hmm. of the three we've watched of this cycle. Mm-hmm. I like this one a lot. Yeah, so have I. Because of the stone circle stuff. Well, and 
I like what is coming up in this episode, mm-hmm. in this story. Yeah. I don't want to say too much, because we aren't to it yet. No, but there is a... Yeah, yeah. we're not going to say yeah. anymore. Yeah, no, I was not saying But yeah, it, it just, even though we're only on episode one, just overall, I think it's, it is a really good story, so. So, should we go on to our, our ending? Yes, this is where I think it sort of lets everything down a little bit. Our cliffhanger. The cliffhanger, (laughs) literally. Well, cliff faller. Well, cliff fall, I guess, yeah. Yeah. We've seen, we saw the sign. Warning, dangerous cliffs ahead. Which means, you know, someone's falling over it. Because, you know, and then we see the view down from the rocks to the swirling water breaking on the the rocks Mm -hmm. on the shore. Yep. For not much of it, actually. So, um, yeah, you know somebody's got to go over. So, and Ramon is the only one out there yep. at the moment. But there is the question of, you know, okay, she's hearing the doctor, but we saw the doctor get hit in the head. Yep. So, what is it? Is somebody, you know, causing this to happen? Is doctor mentally trying to, you know, send a Time Lord message to her to help him? That's an option. Yes. I would think. It's an option. I don't think, though... I mean, we're... I know we've seen it a lot, so it's hard to, to judge, but... Be objective. To be objective. But could you really not guess that it was a trap? Um, no, maybe a quite very young person. Oh, wouldn't have guessed, you mean? Maybe not have guessed that it's a trap as much as it is. Point being then that Romana definitely shouldn't have fallen for it. No. doesn't mean that we aren't still worried about what may have happened to either one of them. Yeah. It's uh, not too often that we have the situation where they're separate and both in danger. It has happened before and since, but most of the time it's just one of them in danger. Mm -hmm. Or both of them together in danger. Like when they were caught with the Shriven's all. They were both under under the Stuck by the door yes. with the beast. Even though she got into the trouble and he was helping, they were still both trapped there. Um, and uh, they were kind of separate for much of Regal's operation. I mean, um, Pirate Planet. But not in uh, a danger where you don't know what's happened to them what could be happening to them like this one mm. I think right. so that makes for a, a bit of a change because yeah, it has happened before but it has been a while it's yep. more it's more likely that uh, the other types of situations to end when they're in danger so I think that's interesting you know, the double questioning of 
attacking Durmana, but she followed to her death. Is she okay? And then what's happening to him too? So it's not terrible, but it it's um could have been better. Yeah, I'm not really sure exactly how though. I think it might have been better to end with uh, the doctor just being hit over the head. Yeah, probably. Even though he's not really going to be in any danger, there's still the question of what is going to happen. Could have seen just Romana just wandering around the circle with gathering dark could have I suppose if you really needed to if you didn't want to have the scene ending with the doctor passed out could have really you know gone to that without her falling over the cliff I guess yeah just feels like that's a little overdone hmm. and it wasn't uh, I don't say it, I don't want to say it wasn't performed well but um, that sense that she was actually going over the cliff was not there right. for me. Right. She just screams and um, we see her kind of fall backwards, but not on a long shot. Right. Um, but up close frame. So that kind of takes away from it. Um, Whereas when the doctor walked the plank, it was a longer shot, so we saw a full body shot and, you know, saw him fall over the edge mm -hmm. into nothing that we could see. That was more effective than just them showing one shot as a, of her heel heading over the, the rocky edge. And then that's after that is when they have the close-up shot of her falling. Mm -hmm. But not as convincing that she's falling either. Would have been difficult to do and have it be convincing, I think. Because they've shown the area where she's supposed to fall, so, you know, what are they going to show? A, uh, a dummy falling over the edge? And yeah, they're not going to. The gonna. exterior, you know, on location shot? No, that would have been equally as crappy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Still a very good episode. Yeah. Very good story. Yeah, I agree. So that's where we will end. Join us tomorrow when we talk about episode two of The Stones of Blood. See, there's a little menace there. Mm, I know. That's good. Yeah, but it's all in the title. Well, yeah. As you'll see later, there's no menace in anything else. There's, there's evil crows flying around. Yeah, that's true. It's like a bad Hitchcock movie. <laughs> so join us then, and thank you for listening.